0: Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hi, everyone, and I am so excited because Jane Barish, who is the Executive Director and President of the Continuum Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, is joining me today. Welcome to the podcast, Jane thank you for having me I'm really looking forward to this me too you know people say well what are your interviews about I say I don't do interviews I'm sorry maybe words matter to me in a different way than it might matter to others I have conversations conversations plus connections equals community that's me so i want to thank you for joining me and i thought we could start off because i always i always like to know i like my my audience to know a little bit about who my guests are so could you just please tell us a little bit about yourself i did mention minneapolis but you know where do you call home tell us
1: about yourself okay well i am from the south side of chicago and um, you know, have uh, I'm Jewish, and for Jews, have a fairly large family, six kids. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Uh, you know, dad was doctor, mother a math teacher, but also very socially engaged and involved. So, um, you know, well-rounded. Went to actually the University of Chicago for grade school and high school, and then came to Minneapolis, where I went to a good Jewish school called St. Olaf which was made popular <laughs> by the golden girls
0: that's funny oh my goodness that that's great you know you just mentioned something about your your large Jewish family um, I'm also Jewish and my father was from a family of 10 back in the day Wow so so I get that and they lived in Duluth there were six six girls and four boys no none of them are currently alive but also like you said a huge family so we're going to be talking we're not going to be talking about your family and my family we're going to be talking about what's at the heart of this which is who you are what you do why you love it and it's it's just great to have you be part of this with me today so you know so thank you I mentioned that you are the executive director and president of the Continuum Center. And for those of us that don't know anything about this, I thought you could tell us about this. And I also want to mention for those of you listening, and I'll mention this again towards the end of the show, you're welcome to go to Jane's website. It's an excellent website. And for those of you that that might need help with the spelling, I get that. So it is the three W's. Continuum is spelled C O N T I U U M Center dot net, and you can read all about what Jane is doing. But now that I've mentioned that, Jane, you know, tell us about this and how you became involved there.
1: Um, Well, Continuum Center uh, was. Can- continuum center came out of an exhibit actually that was at the Museum of Science and Industry in LA in 1978 and it broke all attendance records over two million visits in less than a year and that exhibit uh, was done by two women theosophists and theolo- theosophy is like philosophical you know, uh, exploration on issues of, you know, the nature of existence and meaning and purpose and that kind of thing. Why are we here? Um, And it was an interdisciplinary, multi-faith and multicultural exploration spanning thousands of years about, uh, you know, consciousness, its relationship to the physical universe and the physical body. And it just so happens, so I didn't know about the exhibit in 78. I was a junior in college, but coincidentally in college I was interested in all of those same things. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I from one of my older brothers when I was a sophomore in college, for some reason he sent me two books, and I grew up in a very intellectual family. You know, dad a doctor, mother a math teacher. Although very creative, and relationships are important, and all of that. And I have uh, two brothers that are lawyers, one a you know geophysicist, and the other uh, neuropsych- neuropsychologist. And my sister um, an executive editor. So all kind of very left brain intellectual. And Brainiacs, I as we the, used to call them <laughs> Right yes, and I got uh two books one You know for instance one was called rolling thunder and it was um, written by a written about a Shoshone Medicine man, and it was written under the auspices of the menninger foundation Which is a very well-respected scientific institution, and it like blew my mind reading about you know well you know I, I just remember one part that about in the winter the the uh, the medicine man went out you know just kind of walking and he had to he had to go to a ceremony and he had to kind of get an herb and he's just kind of wandering around and then he just stops and and this is all something recorded by the scientist who was living with him and you know following him around but he just kind of like just went down dug his hand up pulled up exactly the herb he wanted and you know and for me it's kind of like well how how did he know where that was under all the snow. And what's an herb got to do with healing? My dad's a doctor. It was all about medication. It was all about pills. It was all about procedures. It's like, what what's up with that? But it really got my attention and kind of opened a door. And I was studying philosophy anyway, which opens many kind of doors. I, I remember it hurt my head the way it asked these questions and made me think out of the box. It really was at first a struggle. And so um, I was in this process of kind of thinking outside the box, and um, that was for me the beginning of a journey, and then lo and behold, the exhibit that was in L.A. in 78, a philanthropist from Minnesota flew down to see it, was so impressed, bought rights to it, and built a quarter million dollar version, brought it up to the Twin Cities in 1979, and I happened to see it in 1981 when it was at the top of the tallest building in Minneapolis. And it just, like, was captivating, all that information pulled together from these different cultures and fields of science, and really, uh, so that was two years before I even got involved with Continuum, Um, but that was like the start, that the the questions that this organization was exploring, um, that, that summarized what I found of interest, things like, well, what is, the mind what is the nature of personal reality and i i'd always been kind of challenging of conventional thinking and so um you know here you had like Earl Bakken, the founder and president of Medtronic, you know, the international pacemaker company and the president of McAllister College and Senator Dave Dernberger, all these people coming to see this exhibit at the top of the IDS Center and blown away. So it was like, wow, these amazing mm-hmm. ideas that challenge your view of reality and your understanding of consciousness, we're really getting some traction. So I ended up, you know, getting then involved with the organization formally in 1984 and have been with it ever since. Okay, so while you're, you're, you're
0: well, the um, organization started in, I believe you said, um, 79, it was founded, but it was in 1984 that you became the executive director?
1: No, I just got involved in 84 as kind of like a volunteer oh. and a gofer, oh. but it was a small organization, and so I worked I my way up. So I started, you know, kind of at the bottom at 84. I was maybe 27 years old at that time. Okay. And uh yeah, so but in '87, and it's kind of an interesting story, the, the man I worked with was not a great boss and kind mm-hmm. of um <clears throat> a pathological liar and some other things and oh, he ended up uh we had a huge statewide partnership with the Department of Education. This is an interesting Side note, in 1984, uh, a project called Whole Mind Learning that trained 300 public school teachers around the state of Minnesota in the background research and classroom applications of imagery, biofeedback, self-regulation, and self-relaxation strategies. And my boss at the time so mismanaged the project, it was a two-year project. By the time it was done, Continuum Center, back in then 1986, was in $55,000 debt. Mm. Um, And, you know, we started with the exhibit, and then that was eighty seventy nine, and then, you know, by 80, 81, people were wanting more information, so Continuum had started a speaker series. So this project with education was a little further down the road. It's when I got involved, but Continuum already had, you know, uh, kind of a... Impressive, illustrious beginning, bringing in speakers like Jihan Sadat, the former first lady of Egypt, and Alex mm-hmm. Haley, uh, who wrote mm. Roots. Roots, okay. you know. Um, so, you know, Edgar Mitchell, the sixth man to walk on the moon, and uh, so it had. It started with as an exhibit, and then expanded into you know bringing in internationally known scientists and cultural leaders, and then in '84 with this whole mind learning project, it was another arm of programming, which was creating demonstration projects for consciousness research. And the research was showing that these things like imagery and self-regulation and relaxation could dramatically improve a student's learning capacity. And that was 30-some years before mindfulness.
2: Mm. And
1: uh, we were accused of doing voodoo mysticism in the classroom. Oh, dear. Well, we're going to so, talk
0: about that in a bit. I, I'm interested in hearing about mindfulness and meditation because those are words that I find myself using constantly right now. So when did you actually um, take on the role of the executive director? Just, I'm just curious. In 1987. Okay. In 1987. So you went from a volunteer and three years later, you're running the place. That's pretty cool.
1: a volunteer and then a part-time, you know, I mean, volunteer first and part-time slowly, but it was a very small organization. And actually, uh, I, I took it over when it was $55,000 in debt because back then it's a lot of money for a small organization. And so the board was ready to kind of fold up and I'm kind of like, Oh, I'll do it. I'll take it over, you know. There you go. It was maybe foolish, but uh, I had I had a vision, so there you go. Great.
0: There you have it. Well, I've I've been on your website. I'm trying to process and understand the things that you're doing and there's a lot and I don't understand all of it, which is why I ask a lot of questions. And so one of the things that I'd like to talk about is the word quantum. And and the word quantum living the quantum brain um, are common words that we're that we're hearing but I would love it And, and I and I really do this Jane on a lot of my shows especially if it's topics that I am unfamiliar with so I like sort of that glossary of explanation so if I don't know perhaps those listening also don't know so when you say quantum living what does that mean
1: Well, it's it's kind of the the term quantum physics uh, has you know or the concept or the field has become very popular and so there are a lot of ways that people use the terminology. Um, So quantum physics, just to kind of get into that aspect first, is this was this brand new field around the turn of the century, last century, Max Planck was kind of the founder of quantum mechanics, quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and it came from the study of light. That by studying light, and another word for light is photons, uh, and getting into subatomic reality, once there was the electron microscope and you could look inside an atom, when you plumb the depths of matter, there are very different rules that apply. It's a very different description of reality. And um, the implications are profound, but they so challenge our more macro experience and our more more macro assumptions about life and science and all of these other things about the universe that the implications of quantum physics never really got absorbed. Um, So quantum physics describes a universe where a lot of the rules that we're accustomed to break down and new rules that have a lot more room for possibility and impossible things happening, and uh, the role that the individual plays in producing their reality. That Mm. it's a a model of this more interconnectedness version of life than the model we have now where everything appears separate. Um,
2: Mm.
1: So quantum living or the quantum brain is is about the way people are using It's about accessing further dimensions than just the three, height, width, and depth, plus time, if you want to count time. It's like going into more dimensions and a larger version of what life and reality and possibilities are. So um, if that makes sense. So, for instance... um, examples would be wonderful our current version or paradigm of science is called newtonian cartesian mechanistic materialist because it believes everything is fundamentally matter everything is fundamentally reducible to physical parts pieces and processes that's why it's called materialist or reductionist, because you reduce it to those parts, or physicalist, because everything is believed to be ultimately physical. Um, That means that your mind or your consciousness is really reducible just to the physical components of your brain. So the assumption is that um, your mind isn't real, your emotions aren't real, your dreams aren't real, it's just brain chemicals. And so if you have a problem with your emotions, we'll give you chemicals. But it's the view that consciousness is a byproduct of the brain. And um, that, again, everything's reducible to physical things, and that there are only these three material dimensions. And in that quantum view, no, there are more dimensions. And your mind is something more than just what your brain does. And consciousness is something more than what resides in your skull. So uh, it, again, opens up a new universe of possibility where things aren't as they appear, where you, uh, there's something, for instance, called, um, so in the materialist model, everything is separate. And you can just, that, that reality exists out there, you know, separate from you, it's objective out there, and it just is the way it is. And you kind of mm-hmm. study it and write it down, And but as you're observing it, you know, you're not changing it, it just is the way it is, and we all say, oh, the reality is, is that there's just one reality, existing separate from you, and people argue about it, but the assumption is there's just one out there, well, quantum physics is saying, no, there is no one reality out there separate from you, everybody has their own, and you have a large part in creating your reality, and that's, again, a very different model than thinking that there's some static set of circumstances that we keep bumping into, So in quantum physics, there's something called the observer effect. And they've discovered that just the act of observing an atom will change everything about it. As if there is, uh, we've assumed that, you know, you can study something, but it's like you're behind a thick slab of glass and you're not really participating, you're just observing. And what quantum physics is saying, no, no, no. You're automatically elevated to participator, to like co-creator. And so, just the act, and it's not. People think, oh, it's the measuring devices, and that's what changes the atom. No, it's putting your attention on something, your awareness, your consciousness can influence events and outcomes. So let me it, it, ask you, a-
0: truthful with you, because this is something you live. This is a lot for me to focus and understand. So I don't know if that other, if others are. are experiencing that so i'd like to make it relatable to how i understand what you're saying and very often um i talk to people either on my show or just personally and i talk often about the book called the secret and the law of attraction and the law of putting those frequencies out there And you kind of are what you think. If you think, oh, this will never work, well, guess what? That's what you're going to get back in return. It's not going to work. Or it's going to be a lot harder than what you thought. Whereas if you put something out there that has a more positive, like, I feel confident. This is going to be a great day. I I can feel it. Is that what you're talking about
1: or if i'm totally just yeah, a simplified diluted version absolutely i appreciate this. that your mindset <laughs>
2: oh god
1: that your mindset I- influences outcomes but so but the sign and i'm cuz i've got ai work with executives i work with scientists i also work with the most seriously you know behaviorally and emotionally disordered kids and maximum security inmates and homeless adults but there are a lot of people who are like you know all oh, that is that crazy talk about creating your own reality but you know, the brain is like this quantum processing where it is it is interacting with... See, so this is where, you know, I can make it really kind of simple uh, in the way reducing it all to, to basically... The, the universe exists as quantum waves of possibility, and those aren't physical or mechanical or electromagnetic waves. They are waves of quantum possibility, and that's something it's non-material and the interesting thing about photons and light is you know and again the study launched quantum physics is photons are material and non-material at the very same time and that we all kind of live in that dual existence but we're so focused on just what we can see with our five senses we feel that's the filter for reality that we just focus on the physical things but your brain you know the, the, so these quantum waves of Infinite possibility that exists there what happens with your brain and with the frontal lobe which we have mistakenly just written off as the seat of executive function as if it's about just making decisions and setting priorities and hiring and firing people which is very left brain kind of activity but it's about choosing meaning. You get to decide what something means. You get to decide where you put your attention. But we have been conditioned to believe that everything has a meaning already attached. You lose your job, oh, my God. It means you've got to get stressed out and feel bad, you know. Uh, it, it, I can go on with those examples. But what happens uh-huh. is we are aware of it. But with a second-by-second, nanosecond-by-nanosecond, we are unconsciously or consciously deciding how to perceive things and what they mean to us. And sometimes we just, by default, you know, kind of fall into consensus meanings. But it is that act of putting our, our attention is so powerful. Putting, how you put your attention, how you turn it on, is what collapses infinite waves of possibility into actuality. So okay. all these infinite possibilities, we're kind of wasting our manifestation capacity, if you will, because we are not taking responsibility for how we size up every situation and how we choose what it means. Okay. um, And and I think what you're saying, we
0: have that choice, but sometimes
1: we're not taking it. We're not, and we don't realize how many options there are. So a lot of people think in very narrow terms of what their choices are. So, I for see. instance, I taught our training program, I brought it to uh, Minneapolis North High School. I've been teaching right. it for 30-some years. It's gone all over, but this is a recent, relatively recent story. And the school is in the, uh, you know, highest crime, violence, poverty, rate neighborhood in Minneapolis. And uh, the high school, Minneapolis North High, had been threatened with closure because of a 35% graduation rate. The school, which in the heyday back in the 50s it had had 1,200 students, was now down to 165. The neighborhood had changed wow. over the decade. And uh, the basketball team was in last place in the city, an all-black school, all-black team. They got a new coach who knows what our programming is about. So I was brought in to work with this young basketball team, young meaning they were largely freshmen sophomores, maybe one junior in there. And I had them for kind of classroom instruction with all of this information, two hours a week, and then I did my brand of pregame drills with them. And the boys went from worst to first the first season, and by the third season, they were state champions with a 95% graduation rate. (sighs) And 75 so cool. to 80% of the boys on the A&B honor roll. And one of the students, so you know, I'm bringing in quantum physics. I'm talking about the observer effect. I'm talking about all these things that most people are going, what? What? It so contradicts our assumptions and experiences of reality. But after five weeks, these young men, they're, you know, they're, they're getting it, and they're participating. I said, hey, that's great, but who's using this information in their lives? So hands went up. The first one to raise his hand a sophomore named Etta Walker. And he said, well, five weeks ago when you started, um, I was failing math. I turned in less than half my assignments, and my instructor told me it was impossible for me to catch up. But since your class, I thought, that's her reality, not mine. And he got so motivated, and he used the, the tools that the class was giving him in terms of focusing and imagery and these other internal resources that aren't generally developed. And in five weeks, he not only caught up on his math, all of his math, but he had been playing junior varsity and not playing well. And in that same five weeks, he became captain, co-captain. Wow. And a starter on the varsity team. And he went on to get an academic scholarship at Morehouse, where Martin Luther King, Jr. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Historical university. So that's an example. Right. That's an example where somebody has a different view of how life works and a different understanding of their internal resources and capacities, and they turn themselves on differently. And it's amazing. Another kid, also a sophomore, he played football, too. Well, name's Tyler Johnson. He became Big Ten Player of the Week, recruited by the University of Minnesota, first kid from North High and who knows, 80 years or something, I think, and then... Uh, So he became Big Ten Player of the Week his senior year and got drafted in the NFL, and he had his first season last season playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The first game he taught two Tom Brady touchdown passes, and he played in the Super Bowl. So there are these stories from various demographics, but that's one where you just have a different understanding of – How to navigate life and how to develop again these internal resources like your right hemisphere and not just what schools develop your your, your left hemisphere. So um, that to me is like quantum living.
0: So how did that make you feel? I mean, just hearing these two success stories. um, How does what happens to you internally when you tell these
1: stories? How do you feel when you hear these
0: and repeat these stories?
1: Oh, it's it's so joyful. And, you know, it's also a big relief because it's like, hey, it's working. So, yes. um, you know, it's kind of the joy and the relief. Uh, and, of course, I'm very proud of them. I mean, I feel sure. like, you know, a mother figure. And they call me Miss Jane, and they still call me Miss Jane. And it's like eight years later, and I'm in touch with most of them. We're making a documentary on the whole nice. story. But, uh Anyway, oh, I uh, think that's
0: so cool. It, was that high school strictly an all-boys school or were there females at that school
1: as well? No, females too, females too. Okay. And were i, you I, were, you I barely, go primarily with the boys, but I also, you know, do work with girls, and there's one who's now, you know, in college who I knew in high school at North High, and I've been working with her. And You know, it's like they may have a lot of family issues. They may have a lot of things that happened when they were young that kind of, keep them in a rut and uh, the thing is there's a lot of emotional work that needs to be done and a lot of people really don't want to do it (laughs) and that's unfortunate but well and sometimes
0: they don't have the support you know you're not living with them so while you may be in the classroom x amount of time a day you know they need to take this back home with them and then process this In their family study whatever that might be and you mentioned that it was you know in a pretty high crime rate and poverty and all of the things that you know can contribute to failure and yet you've you've shown the other side of that equation by saying you're not doomed for that failure you're not you you you, this does not have to be your your pathway out and, and that's that's what I'm hearing from what you're saying. I don't know if that is accurate, but no, what I... Absolutely. What I, okay, terrific.
1: But if you're going to get out. So it's, it, the thing is, too, you know, about the brain, and, you know, again, there are all these common thoughts about it. Uh, we kind of divide the brain into... These areas of the reptilian brain nervous system, then millions of years later, the animal emotional brain evolved, and then millions of years later, the neocortex with left and right hemisphere and frontal lobe. Certainly, there's more the thalamus, the amygdala, whatever, but that's what we focus on. And the thing is, uh, if If your fundamental structures, like the primary structures of the reptilian brain and nervous system or the animal brain and emotional brain, if those aren 't healthy and stable, then your what we call the higher human thinking brain isn 't going to work very well, and there are a lot of people who skip over the nervous system and their you know emotional uh brain and just want to jump right into thinking clearly <laughs> and it just doesn 't work that way so yes. Well, it sounds so to, to me like, is, yes, please, what is the
2: good news? Okay, the good yeah. news is
1: is we have enough stories, and it's explained in such a way that all the participants understand that, you know, they're, they are prisoners of their old emotions, unresolved emotions, which we call buttons. And if you have unresolved emotions, if you have a button, the universe can't help but send somebody or something to push it. So you probably are re- 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 reenacting old dynamics, old themes, and again, you know, back to that idea, it's like, well, I'm not doing it. Well, yeah, if if, if your internal state is caught up in, you know, I work so hard and don't get credit, or I get in trouble for things I never did, or people promise things and they pull it away, or everybody else gets taken care of but I don't matter, whatever it is, you're just going to use all that capacity to create reality to just recreate old drama. And, you know, they hear enough stories, it's like quite compelling, and they hear the stories of the people who've worked through it and that you can do it. It's, it's more motivation. So, um, but then there are some who just refuse. And what can you do?
0: Right. Well, there, there has to obviously be a desire there, correct?
1: A desire and a willingness. I mean, a lot of people want to change and want to improve, but they just will sidestep and dance around and you know avoid and evade and just kind of when it gets right down to it they might walk up to the line but they just don't want to have to re-experience or open up the past and you know it's it's it doesn't have to be that hard but it's something i believe that needs to be done so there are a lot of people who just don't want to go there and they'd rather struggle in other ways so um
0: Interesting. Uh, it, it, I, I I'd like to think that at some place down the line with these young men that you've talked about, that they also then become mentors for those behind them. Um, can also they present themselves they as do. living
1: examples,
0: which I think they is really do. awesome.
1: Um, and we actually so, have a program to where they uh-huh. formally are out training young people.
2: Wonderful. They all
1: have an opportunity to kind of enter this as a career. Uh, Wonderful. To be facilitators.
0: I think that's terrific. I think the more you repeat what you understand, the better you are enabling yourself to explain it. And when you've lived it, and you can explain it, and someone's sitting there in the in a desk chair going, oh, I don't believe this stuff. And it's like, well, you might not believe this, but I was sitting in that chair X amount of years ago, and I was kind of having the same thoughts you're having, but look at me today. So I can see where that's very, very powerful. Um, You mentioned earlier on about mindfulness and meditation, and I, I know that those words are bantered around a lot. I use them a lot I I take yoga those are words we hear in yoga Um, I'd like to know how does your program compare
1: to mindfulness or meditation okay and we are to me mindfulness is just the tip of the iceberg and it's where we were and we were even doing more than just mindfulness 30 years ago so it's kind of like you know um, it Yeah, it it, it works, but to me it's so elementary. And meditation, in a way, it it has no meaning because it means a million different things to a million different people. And the dictionary definition is to contemplate or think about. Plus, back then and throughout my time with Continuum, I had to be very careful about words you use as we want to go into corporations and schools. And back in the 80s, you know, meditation was a word. Yoga was a word where people go, oh, my God, Eastern mysticism through mysticism, you know, people weren't comfortable with that. So it wasn't a word we were, we were going to use anyway because we really, you know, to me, meditation, you sit with your legs crossed and you have to have your forefinger and thumb touching and da 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 da, da. We just get down to some basics. We get into focusing, diaphragmatic breathing, and imagery. Those are the three kind of internal <laughs> resource capacities we develop.
0: Let me interrupt you because you I'm obviously familiar with the word focusing. I'm obviously familiar with the word with imagery. But what was the what was the breathing you
1: what was the word you used? Diaphragmatic breathing.
0: Oh, so you're so, just from your
1: diaphragm. Right. If you watch a baby or an animal, they breathe in their belly. It's how we're designed to breathe. But right. If you don't breathe in your belly, if you take shallow breaths in your chest, Or, you know, when people say take a deep breath, they inflate their chest. They're actually causing their brain to secrete adrenaline and cortisol. It creates anxiety. It makes your heart beat faster when you breathe in your chest, shallow breathing. And so it's the wrong way to breathe, the right way to breathe is filling your belly with air. And I tell you, it's amazing how difficult that is for a lot of people who are so conditioned to breathe in their chest. And you know, that when they breathe in their stomach goes in. No, when you breathe in your stomach no, goes out. Correct. I must tell you,
0: as somebody that sort of sits on the anxiety meter of life and has their shoulders as um, extra earlobes, that diaphragmatic I've never I've never heard it used that way, but I I, I always offer that opportunity to others that I speak to that if you are really taking a deep breath, if you're a singer, you already know that because you have to hold your breath in order to hold those notes. But I love the imagery of this, and probably this is something that you tell your, your people as well. So when your belly goes out, that means you are bringing that air all the way in. But when you exhale, you are bringing your navel to your spine, and you are exhaling what you just inhaled because you don't need that inhale any longer you need your next inhale and I don't know if that's something that you would agree with or not but it has worked very very well for me in just you know calming myself down as that, that well, and, and is and I try
1: to just do it as you know I try to do it as simply as possible so I just say you know and I show people how I'll, I'll have whether it's a kid or an adult I will go around the room, they have to have a hand on their stomach, I put my hand on their hand, or I put my hand right on their stomach, I just say breathe in and push my hand out. And I don't get into how many seconds you hold it, but fill up your belly and then you just release the air. And you don't have to push, you don't have to whatever, but just, you know, inflate and then exhale. And, you know, if they don't get it, then I'll put their hand on my stomach so they actually go, oh, that? I mean, they had no idea where the breath would be going if it wasn't in their chest. Right, right, so, um, I, I, I would agree. I,
0: I like I liked the mindset of the importance of the exhale as well. So for me, and this might not be what you teach, but for me, the... Um, that, that imagery of bringing that navel back into your stomach means that now your diaphragm is emptying out because you have released that air so for me that works really well but I wanted to I wanted to move on because this isn't about me and my sure. yoga practice um, well
1: you know it so, whatever works if it really calms you exactly. down and you're doing the breathing great great great, great. right
0: Right. So you you were talking, we've talked a, quite a bit about education, and I was just wondering, because you are so involved with education, how do you think it needs to change as, I mean, obviously education for this last year and a half has been nothing like anybody could have ever imagined. Nobody knew what Zoom was, you know, back in 2019, um, you know, right. the camera thing. So now that kids are You know, I I don't know what the situation is in Minneapolis, but we are going to probably start having in-person classroom um, here in Los Angeles. So um, taking that as a side, how do you think overall that education could change?
1: What would you change about it? I think education, i changed just about everything. It was designed back to train kids for factory jobs. Standardized processes, sit in a row, sit up straight, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, the basic, basic, basic things that can get you a basic, basic job. And that has not changed. And what it does is, you know, according to our model of the brain aspects that need to be developed, the reptilian brain nervous system, the animal emotional brain, the right and left hemisphere frontal lobe, out of all of those, all education focuses on is the left Hemisphere, math, science, and verbal skills. It is ignoring developing the nervous system in a healthy way. It's totally doing nothing for the emotional development of children and helping them effectively deal with the challenges that they have at home or at school. And the fact that there is no right hemisphere development, which is clearly the more human aspect of us, the left is everything that computers can do. Artificial intelligence can totally replace left brain function. Artificial intelligence will never replace dreaming and intuition and, you know, um, those kinds of very human things. Because a computer is not going to be connected to a nervous system and to an animal emotional brain. And that is very much part of our whole system. So the right hemisphere, it turns out, has a lot more connection to the animal emotional brain or the midbrain or the limbic system than the left brain does. And that's because the left brain is more the cold calculating part. The right brain is more the human, you know, that your dreams are connected to emotions. You know, your emotion, your emotionality is connected to that brain, obviously. So, you know, emotions and uh, memories and, you know, imagery and daydreams, those are all very personal and human and, connected to the emotional brain and education does nothing so all the children who are more right brain more sensitive more creative they get to school guess what happens math they, they are supposed to just kind of fall into the boxes and do all the work that's very left brain and it's not What they're good at is not what they care about, it's not what they're comfortable with, and they get the message that there's something wrong with them, they're dumb, they have, you know, learning disabilities, and what does that do to a kid? If I were a kid, I'd say, screw you, I'm not dumb, I'm probably smarter than you are, but you just can't see it. So these kids don't get seen, they don't get validated, they get angry, they get sad, they act out, they get sent to special ed. Special ed's been called a pipeline to prison. Or they get put on medication because it's very frustrating and painful for a kid to feel like he doesn't fit in and can't do well. And it's also very painful that they aren't getting their own gifts fed and nourished. And it's not like left brain kids don't have a right hemisphere. I've worked with a lot of very intellectual people, but they got a lot of neurotic you know, anxiety, whatever, and when they engage another half of their brain, they do better as well. So And the frontal lobe, like I said, they're doing nothing about teaching like what helped Edo or Tyler Johnson to realize that, you know what, I get to decide what something means. We actually open up our curriculum to any age group or demographic with the, you know, um, we don't open it up, but soon into it kind of uh, to make the point that we think there's one reality out there. And uh, But, you know, the truth of the matter is, no, you get to choose your own. But it's like we, we assume, oh, yeah, there's... One reality was if you knew a kid who was born with half arms and half legs and that kid wanted to be a state wrestling champion against able-bodied kids, you'd probably say, oh, the reality is they can't do that. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? This kid Kyle Maynard did it. And he wrote a book, No Excuses. So he chose his meaning for his disability where everyone else is like, oh, my God, just throw yourself off a cliff. What's your life going to be like? He's like, you know what? Oh, actually, he was on, um, oh, who was Larry King? And Larry King said to him, don't you feel like a freak? Oh, my he God, he used those words? Leg. I know, but that's Larry King. And he says, you know what? I actually feel blessed because how many people are in a position to inspire millions on a daily basis? Yes. That's an example of choosing your reality, choosing your meanings to any situation, but we get conditioned to just accept these consensus meanings for whatever happens. And usually it's some, you know, kind of negative. We're kind of geared towards negativity.
2: Sure.
0: I think, you know, um, with the Olympics coming up right now and then the Special Olympics, I, I actually had a woman on my show a month or so ago that's, that's um, a paraplegic, and she's a ice hockey, sled hike, hockey player, and waiting to see uh-huh. if indeed she has... Um, made it to the Olympics because it's after the Summer Olympics, but, uh, you know, when you see people um, doing things just like what you imagined, I can, what you mentioned, I, I could see the benefits not only for that person, that Person that might be and I'm putting quotes and I'm putting quotes around around the word disabled because um, I don't want to I'm not categorizing right. but what I'm saying is that not only is that young person male female having to make these changes, it affects their family and they also become part of that learning paradigm switch that that you've been talking about and i just i just think it's it's marvelous and i i'm really happy to hear that you do that and i was curious before we know it we'll be out of time um i want to talk a little bit about you again and and personally because you did something that was pretty darn remarkable remarkable in that in today's world of sports one would not have imagined what you were able to do and what kind of leads us really in a segues kind of into what we were just talking about because you were a world champion figure skater at age fifty four. And then I think I was fifty was it fifty two and fifty four at ages those two ages. And then two years later at sixty two you won another um, championship but then at and but then you
1: also won a world state championship well, so as well? I'll, I'll, I can give you the chronology so the, okay. the story is that I used to skate when I was young and I was very good but I quit because okay. it was at the point I either go to high school be a normal kid or I dedicate my life to skating and train for the Olympics well I I didn't know, my coach had told my parents about that Olympics part. I didn't know about that, and I just wanted to be a normal high school kid and play sports and have friends, and so I gave up skating, and it always kind of bugged me, you know, what I could have done, and I couldn't even watch skating, because I'd see a skater, I'd go, oh, I could have done that, oh, I could have done that, and it just was, it, was, it wasn't healthy for me, so yes. I would go of it, but when I turned 49, it's kind of like, you know what, um, well, I'm looking 50 in the face, and I don't want 50 to signal the beginning of the end. What can I do to kind of really kind of write my own script and demonstrate what Continuum is about, which claims that it helps people access the proverbial other 90% of brain-mind capacity? thought I'll start skating again. So long story short, I did a 50th birthday show despite breaking my foot four months before, and that became oh. part of a documentary called Making oh. the Quantum Leap where um, despite the doctor telling me I could not do my skating show, I'm thinking that's your reality, not mine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, despite his prognosis and recommendations that I should not be on the ice for another six months, two months after he kind of, and I had broken my foot in December, and here it is February, and the show is supposed to be April, this is 2007. Um, in February, he's like, no, you shouldn't be on the ice for another four months, you know, at least. And I was, on two months, I was on two days later, and I did the show two months later, and then I just kept skating. So I became a state champion at age 51, 52, and then again at 62. I had given up skating again for a while. And then I became a world champion at age 54. Turns out that in Minnesota, they were having a world championship, and it's like, how could I not enter? So right. Um, Yeah, but along the way, as I'm planning this 50th birthday skate, I have people going, you're not a teenager anymore. You know, what do you think you're doing? Uh, You know, and and people are so interesting, and they're supposedly your friends and whatever, and they just want to throw cold water on you. So uh, that was, you know, revealing of many things, but I I went ahead and did it.
0: Do you think that sometimes people are
1: asking without judgment like wow if they ask well it, it, it depends on how they say it you know how they yes. construct the question and what's their tone that's like if they get said wow you know and you're not a teenager anymore you think you could do it that's a lot different than what do you think you're doing you're not a teenager
0: you know? right
1: that sounds yeah. judgy
0: yes exactly i i, right. and I can the, the the tone of voice The way it's constructed is how you can internalize what somebody's asking you and and I would agree with you based on all that you've talked about and a lot of it I'm going to be straight with you a lot of this is over my head because it's very scientific and I'm more down here on the ground which I'm okay with that I'm not I'm not I'm not going to judge myself about that either because how does that help me I'm just speaking my truth I'd like to know, are you optimistic about our future, especially
1: as it is in education? You know, I am, and uh, Norman Cousins, who, was, Norman Cousins, who uh, right. was editor of the Saturday Review a long time ago, and he, he had a, you know, normally fatal nerve, degenerative nerve disease, and he locked himself in a hotel room for 48 hours and watched funny movies and took vitamin C and reversed the course of the illness, and he wrote a book... Um, I think it was uh, Anatomy of Hope or something like that. But anyway, he had okay. a great quote. We don't know enough to be pessimistic.
2: Mm.
1: That's a great quote. We don't so know I enough hold to be pessimistic. Right. I, I hold out that the, 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 the reason for optimism that I, you know, see around me and encounter with those that I'm working with and, you know, others, and I see the receptivity <clears throat> um, and the desire for people to do something different, and we're at a point where there is, I think, uh, you know, it, the, the the wide recognition that what we've been doing is not working, and we really need to be open to some fundamental change. Uh, and so it was. It's then kind of my job to, and that's why the science is important whether or not somebody's interested. And we do break it down in a way like if you went through our exhibit or through our curriculum, you'd get the science in a very different way. I had to kind of like jump ahead to the, you know, the, the bottom line or the punchline, which Mrs. the sure. interim steps that make it more sure. accessible. But that um, we've got the different components, the results, the science, you know, the coherent philosophical kind of contextual framework. That I think uh, people are looking for something, and they can go, you know what? That has quite a track record and uh, a lot of credibility. So I'm, I'm optimistic there. If I didn't, if I wasn't doing this work that I've been doing, I would not be optimistic. It would be hard. It'd be kind of like, well, maybe the. Maybe the aliens will come in and inject some reason. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> other than that, I didn't know what kind of intervention would happen. But uh, I, I'm optimistic because I see the results that we can get and the increasing receptivity. And we have vehicles. We have an exhibit. We have some films. We have a training program. Um, so, you know, we try to get the information out in a lot of effective ways. And Right.
0: Uh, and I think that, you know, um, I had put in my, my blog promoting this show about your exhibit. And clearly this is something that if people are visiting Minneapolis, that this is something they should not miss because I think, like you said, it, it, it brings, it, if you're a visual learner, which I happen to be that person, uh, that probably really does even drive the, that message in even closer. So as you, as you think about where you are in this line of time, what do you see as your vision um, for the next five to 10 years as we move forward?
1: So I'm in the process of training others to teach the curriculum and the training program we've got. And I am envisioning um, working with schools, corporations, prisons, hospitals, clinics, addiction clinics, you know, mental health clinics to present an alternative approach to our current models and that we then see slowly the integration of this new paradigm of brain, mind, and reality kind of slowly entering uh, all of our, you know, conventional systems. And that I'm seeing more and more people trained to go out and teach this so that, and that we would have continuum centers around the world, you know, exhibits. Mm. And by the way, um, if any of your listeners are interested in they reach out i can send them links to, to to view the full exhibit or you know parts of oh, it anyway so you can see it online oh, i see
0: oh that's terrific you know what um i will i we will talk about that um when we conclude this show and i will make sure that when i write my follow-up blog i will absolutely Perfect. um i mean i'm on your website right now so um i i didn't realize that me on the outside here could actually um, be able to do that. So that, that's, that's great for me to know, and I'll
1: make oh, sure. Oh, and you just reminded me, remind me, too, yes, because we, uh, we just finished updating the exhibit, and I've got to make sure the updated links are at the website. But I could send you the links that are the most updated of the exhibit that you can Wonderful. add to your site.
0: Wonderful. I would love that. Um, I, I would absolutely love that. I'm, I'm there on that site right now. I just wasn't aware I see that it's free and open to the public. What I what I need from you is how to access that link and I'll make sure that I do that and you can help me with that so that we can get what you're doing across this country. That is the beauty of where we are today in technology which I I just I love. So what what are you what do I mean I know what I'm excited about in
1: life. What are you what are you most excited about? Oh, my goodness. What am I most excited about? Yeah. Wow. That's a, you know,
2: I, I'm, Hard to I'm words. excited about young
1: people, young people who really, really are embracing um, these important new ideas and willing to kind of challenge systems. There's one young woman we're working with who dropped out of one of the HBCUs because she she's studying psychology because she's like I just knew that it just didn't feel right and right. I think uh so there are a lot of people it's like you know what there is a conveyor belt and an academic you know ladder but it's not working for everybody and it encourages me that there are people are you know it's like you know what I got to do I got I got to find something else mm-hmm. and that they feel that what we're offering is they didn't even know that that would be, I mean, who, they didn't even know this kind of thing would exist. It's hard for someone to imagine unless you kind of, see right. it. but I get excited at the excitement that others feel when they kind of step into this new paradigm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can see why you would. And do you only teach, do you only bring in high school kids? Do you ever work with kids
1: before high school? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We work down with to t- kindergarten. Oh, It's not it's the kidding. same pro. It's named that version of the program. It's elements of what we do, but yeah, right. You know, and a lot of my oh. high school kids over the summer would work with kids, you know, four to fourteen. And you know, yeah, I got seventh graders and I got fifth graders and their earlier age. Yeah, nice. we 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 work and, and and you know corporate executives and medical professionals and accountants and lawyers and you know everybody right you run
0: the gambit as they would say I I mean I I can hear that but I it's it's exciting I mean I I think that you sound like you're excited about this and I think that because you are so you've seen results you know results um, are contagious and when you can see results And as you mentioned about these two kids uh, at the high school, North High, you know, when you can see those results. And there's probably many other that I would imagine that are um, success stories. And everybody measures success differently. I mean, clearly that that is absolutely the truth as well. What might be success to one person might not mean the same success to another. The fact that you're able to do this, it it makes me wonder, (laughs) You know, you're doing this in Minnesota. It makes me wonder, you know, how you could present
1: this to people that were not in Minnesota. Well, we got asked. I went out to Brockton, Massachusetts. So I was invited out there to uh, do an introductory. I spoke in, you know, five schools to students. And the host that had me out there is working on getting me to be training his staff. Um, and the community and educators in Brockton. So no, we're designed to kind of go all over and now it can be a combination of in-person and remote you know, training and teaching, so we're definitely set up to go, beyond. I mean, I've taught in, you know, the slums of Rio, and on Indian reservations around the country, and at mm-hmm. hospitals around, the, so we're, we're designed to kind of move this out, and I would love to have our exhibit go around the country, yes. you know, have a touring model yes. that people can set up, it's really great for sparking a lot of conversation and reflection, mm-hmm. and you know shifting so we have a lot of vehicles films you know can travel with the films and do a and a sure. and some of my young people travel and are very compelling speakers so we've got a lot of vehicles to drive this message and you know it's just kind of being patient I'm I'm, I'm in my 37th year of this right right ah,
0: so. but but you know listening to you and I, and I, I when I was when I first started doing the, blog, the Born to Talk radio show, I was in a studio less than three miles from my home and people had to be able to physically get to the studio in order to be my guest. And then it was video and it was audio and many of them went to YouTube and blah, blah, blah. Now with today's technology, I mean, there are definitely podcasters that are visual. I don't have that kind of technology so I'm strictly audio. But I can... F- I can feel your energy. I I've, I've seen you on the YouTube before, so I have I've seen you and and it's 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 very contagious. It's it's very um like wow, I want to know more. Okay, some of these words are a bit confusing. I'm going to have to get out the dictionary. I suspect that okay. would you say, you know what? Kind of skip the dictionary because that that might not really give you what you need. Um and, but I mean, when you talk about um, your your um, your exhibit and the di- inter- interdisciplinary and the multicultural experiences, I-, I think that people will be able to feel that you use words that we understand. Interconnectedness—that's a big, long word. That's that's a seventy-five
1: cent word. That's a big word, but it does that mean that we're interconnected. Fund. Say it again. Uh, what did you say? I was saying we need to flood the stream with that word and some of these others to kind of expand, you know, just our general use of, I mean, what words we use. And I just, you know, just to throw out, like, there's one panel in the exhibit that talks about the placebo effect. And most people have heard of the placebo effect. You get a fake medication, but you think it's real, so you feel better. They've, Harvard and Baylor have done research on placebo surgery, fake meniscus knee surgery and the placebo fake surgery was just as effective as the actual surgery meaning is that they got nothing but a little incision while they were under and the doctors and nurses pretending talking and clinking you know utensils and they had the same result so we are just scratching now why don't people know that that's very right. important information about meaning, it is. expectation, the mind, and how it influences, you know, your body. Now we go out; it doesn't just stop at influencing your own body. It can influence, influence circumstances and outcomes and whatever. But you know, sure. there are ways that are very relevant, that uh, are very understandable, that people will go, "Oh my God, I had no idea."
2: When you we, when you hear try the, to the break
1: it
0: sure, and and when you hear the term "mind over matter." Is that in keeping yeah. in what yeah, you're yeah. saying? Yeah, yeah, Because I'm thinking movie, about the, the placebo
1: effect. Yeah, it, totally. It's, you know, and so, but we have not been taught how to develop our capacities to leverage our consciousness and our mind. In fact, we're using it to create more drama because we're just so surrounded by things that induce anxiety without the... Support and constructs to help us realize how we can navigate all of it very differently and more effectively.
0: Right. Well, I can. You know, one of the things I ta- I say about my show um, when I talk about why I do what I do is that you know when I say at the beginning I like to bring the passions of my guests to life. I mean, you are a prime example. You don't sound. You sound like you are just as engaged as you probably were some 30 years ago when you started this because you really believe it and it comes across and and I just I want to thank you so much for taking your time today to to explain this a little bit more to me to help me understand this a little bit better I will certainly um, include you know the links to to the exhibit to the center. And, you know, and people can follow along and and um, and learn more. I, I don't think you – I don't believe right now you have a social media um, yeah, other know, than your LinkedIn. Yeah, you know what? We really LinkedIn. have
1: been slow, slow to that, and my staff will yes. do it at some point. But I actually – there's part of me – I just – it's like too much. If somebody, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. We've got a website. Uh, I, I don't. Want, right. I don't want to add more of the information, you know, sure. on slot that's out there. So sure. And, and the class that I do teach, we also offer offer remotely. So we'll be having sessions of our discovery of self training that people can join. Um, Wonderful. Sign up for remotely. Will, terrific. So.
0: I will, I will definitely want that link, Jane, so that I can include that in the follow-up so that people that are saying, dang, you know, I'm not going to be getting over to Minneapolis anytime soon, I would love to take this kind of training. I will be certain to include that um, in the follow-up blog.
1: So, Great. so
0: Great. thank you so much for your time and just, you know, sharing what you love. Um, I look forward to my Mondays for this very reason that I get to do this because that's my passion. Conversations have always been my passion. And this is just a wonderful vehicle for me to not consider this an interview, which I know in the industry, this is probably what this is considered, but it's not an interview for me. If we were sitting at Starbucks or we were just taking a walk around the lake, this this is what we would be doing. And uh, I just, I, I value the time you've spent with me today, Jane. It's, it's really been lovely.
1: Thank you. And you're very good at what you do.
0: Oh, thank you. That, the check is in the mail, all right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. All right, well, we will be in touch tonight.: I thank we, your listeners. You, you
0: bet we will. So, everybody, be safe out there on the 4th of July. I'm going to make this following announcement. For the very first time in over three years, Marcia, you're hearing this first, is actually taking a Monday of vacation, and I will not have a show next Monday. I will be with family in Michigan. So don't think I won't be thinking about all of you, but my next show will be on July the 12th, and we will be, actually, we will be talking about the brain. That is actually what my show is all about. So it's, it's, it's an author that wrote a, a book called The Brain, brain Weaver. How, how ironic that we will continue talking about the brain. But for now, I will say goodbye. Thank you all for being here with me. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And once again, thank you, Jane. It was great.
2: It was. Mm-hmm.